If there's one thing President Trump wants you to know, like really wants you to know, it's that the economy is strong. Since our election win, the stock market is up almost 50%. You're looking like geniuses. And America is now booming like never before. Other countries are doing very poorly. We've created, since my election, 5.5 million new jobs. Nobody would have believed that was possible. But there is just one tiny little problem. The Federal Reserve has started to haunt Trump's enthusiasm. It's as if he's getting a scapegoat ready, just in case the American economy hits the skids. If the Fed had done its job, the stock market would be up 5,000 to 10,000 additional points, Trump tweeted this weekend. The Fed is one of those topics that I feel like I should know about, and I do not. That's kind of part of what I want to talk about. Jordan Weissman writes about the Fed for Slate. How Donald Trump is actually one of the best things to ever happen to Fed writers. For a long time, the Federal Reserve has been the most important economic institution possibly in the world. And nobody gives a damn. Right? Like typically people just like do not care about the Fed. But Donald Trump has this way of just, you know, taking the driest topics and turning them into a reality television style feud. <laughs> um, and he's done that with the Federal Reserve. Trump is mostly pissed off that the Fed raised interest rates last year. That could slow economic growth just as he begins to run for re-election. But for Jordan, the thing about this feud is that Trump may have a point. Today on the show, Jordan's going to take us inside the battle over the Federal Reserve and ask, will Trump be able to reshape this institution in his own image? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Can we answer this yeah. one question for people who will be asking it and yeah. feeling dumb for asking it? Yeah, sure. Take me to the Federal Reserve. Yeah. What happens there? Who is there? <laughs> yeah. And like, I think of them as yeah. like the man behind the curtain controlling the economy, like sort of changing these indicators. They can print the money if yeah, we need it. Yeah, you're not that far off. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the Federal Reserve does a bunch of things, but... You know, the most important role that they have, as far as most of us are concerned, is they control interest rates. They don't they don't control every interest rate, but they control a key interest rate, you know, the, the federal funds rate. Which um, is the interest rate where banks lend to each other, overnight, right? Yeah. It controls short-term interest rates. And, you know, short-term interest rates have an impact on long-term interest rates. And, you know, if you push interest rates up, it's going to probably slow the economy down because it becomes more expensive to borrow. And if you cut interest rates, that's going to give the economy a boost because it becomes cheaper to borrow. And all this gets much more complicated the deeper you get into it. But it's the bottom line. Low rates juices the economy. High rates slow it down, you know, weigh it down. And the people who are usually there typically are 
very dull but competent, intelligent economists. Not all economists. Sometimes they're lawyers. <laughs> sometimes they're finance guys. Jerome Powell's a finance guy and a lawyer. They have degrees. Um, they have they degrees. wear ties. They wear ties. I mean, that's that's the Fed, typically, until Donald Trump shows up. So in 2018, yeah. he appoints this guy, Jerome Powell, yeah. to be in charge of the Fed. Who's Jerome Powell? Jerome Powell, well, he was on the board of governors, right? He's a... So he's been there a little while. Yeah, he was, he was already there. And, you know, he's a finance guy. He was actually he was a veteran of the George H.W. Bush administration. Um, but, you know, the thing Jerome Powell was mostly known as was sort of an acolyte of Janet Yellen. Right. Janet Yellen was the Fed chair before him, before him. And Jerome Powell was sort of always agreed with Janet. He just took his orders from her. He, he was a way that Donald Trump could appoint someone with Janet Yellen's views on monetary policy, but with a slightly looser approach to regulation. He'd be more likely to deregulate some of the financial industry, which is important because the Fed is also involved in regulating finance. Were you surprised when he was appointed? No, because, I mean, he was definitely one of the front runners. And, you know, Trump seemed very torn about Yellen. He actually kind of liked her because he thought of her as a low interest rate person, even though he spent a lot of campaign like, you know, spreading conspiracy theories about how <laughs> she was keeping rates low to boost Obama. But in the end, he actually kind of he liked and respected her, which was strange because she's a diminutive, powerful woman, um, which is like the kind of thing that. But it, it was clear he had some affection for her and he, he thought about reappointing her. But in the end, didn't. Instead, he took one of her right hand men. And, and his tenure hasn't been smooth. No, it hasn't been. And actually, Yellen was not a low rates person. She was a hike rates very slowly in order to kind of gradually increase them and make sure they got ahead of inflation before it broke out type person. And Jerome Powell kind of continued in that tradition. He he was, okay, the slow let's let's do this low and slow. Right. That was like if you want to use barbecue terms, low and slow was what he wanted to do. And and so he's hiking interest rates. And for someone like Donald Trump, yeah. who is a real estate investor yeah. and used to kind of seeing how when when the Fed sets interest rates up, then all of a sudden it costs more money for you to borrow money and buy things. He gets that intuitively. He yeah. understands that. This is like one thing about the economy he gets on like a gut level that like high rates are, are bad for the business. And he gets that one of the things he has going for him is a relatively hot economy. And so he has been freaking out about this. What happened in December? Because in December, it seemed like yeah. there was a breaking point. Sort of. So economic data has been iffier, right? There's been some questions about how strong the you know this expansion really is. Can it continue? The Fed hiked rates again and markets kind of freaked out. You know, and it was like immediate, right? Yeah, because they're like, don't do this. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> so, it's, so it's like Jerome Powell is like yeah. literally in the middle of a press conference, leaves the press conference. What happens? Yeah, well, what really showed that they, they had second thoughts was then the next quarterly meeting, they paused their rate hikes. They said, we're not going to hike again. And in fact, we might not hike again for the rest of the year. We're going to totally rethink this. They even left open the possibility of cutting them if things got worse. So it was kind of like uh, the Fed had a bunch of cold ice water thrown on its face. Like, so they woke up. They're like, oh, maybe we've been overdoing it. But that that happened too late to assuage Donald Trump, who was already pissed off. <laughs> well, and I still remember looking at like my 401k and realizing yeah. it had kind of gone off a little mini cliff in December. <laughs> and never look at your 401k. No. But yeah, so Trump was angry and... I mean, I think he took it as some vindication that the Trump that the the Fed stopped hiking. But now he wants to, them to go further and he wants them to cut. He implied he might fire Jerome Powell, right? Yeah. But it's not clear he can do that. Well, it's OK. He absolutely cannot fire Jerome Powell from the Federal Reserve. 
What he might be able to do, according to some legal experts, is demote him from being chair to just being a regular governor and appoint someone else chair. This would, if that were to happen, it, w- it would be a nuclear bomb in, in the world of monetary policy. Like it would, re- and once you start gaming out what would then happen, it gets kind of crazy because the powers of the, the Federal Reserve chair are actually largely informal. The the chair of the Federal Reserve doesn't even have to be the one who leads the interest rate committee. The other governors, if they got pissed off enough, could maybe pick someone else to lead that. It's like and, a co-op. Yeah, it's very strange. It's very, it is kind of like it's a grocery co-op, except they're the <laughs> most, it's a grocery co-op that also controls the world economy. Um, but like, it could get totally crazy if he did that. He probably won't, though, because everyone has talked him down. And instead, he's decided to go this other route, which is try to nominate sycophants to the Fed board uh, who will just do what he says, which, frankly, is actually a more productive way of going about it, I think, than throwing a grenade at the Fed. But it worries it's worrisome in its own ways because it has this creeping impact where it's like if you start stocking the board with your allies, then it becomes much more insidious. Although I was surprised by how much power Jerome Powell had, because after he made that decision to hike rates in December and then kind of rethought it, came back and changed everything, it sounds like he didn't even consult anyone. He was just like, listen, I'm going to make a decision here. Bad on me. We're going to change it. Well, so the thing is the, the Fed has traditionally operated by consensus. So he has to convince the other people on the, on the committee that, that sets rates you know, you, you have 12 members there and they all get one vote and the chair only gets one vote and it's majority rules technically, but typically they try to present a unified front. So they, they try to work it out together. The chair himself has a lot of power and there's mm-hmm. traditionally a lot of deference given to the chair. He's he's not a dictator, but he's definitely the first among equals is sort huh. of the, the way it works. So he definitely had to convince everyone else to go along with his plan. So in the last few weeks... We've seen these names floated of possible people to join the board. Herman Cain, Stephen Moore. Tell me more about who these guys are and what their monetary theory is. (laughs) (laughs) He laughs. All right. (laughs) Let's start with Herman Cain, who's actually like, it looks like he's he's done. He's already shot. Right. But like... So, he was so alarming that it sounds like, yeah. you know, people just said no. Hey, well, it's also interesting that he's more alarming. We'll get to that. So Herman, we all know Herman Cain. You know Herman Cain. I know Herman Cain. He's the failed presidential candidate, you know, the former Godfather's Pizza executive. He ran a lobbying group for a while. Shucky Ducky, 999 tax plan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, okay. I don't know what Shucky Ducky is. Oh, you don't know Shucky Ducky? That was just like, <laughs> he was like, it's a Shucky Ducky kind of day. It's this weird turn. I don't know where it comes from, but like it was just like that was like his way. Of saying, it's a great day. Um, he referred to Donald Trump as a Shucky Ducky kind of candidate. Oh once. boy. Um, Stephen Moore is this zealot of the conservative economic world. You know, when he got nominated, he's like a cable news guy, right? Well, now he is. Yeah. So when I wrote about him getting nominated, I think my my exact turn of phrase was he is the embodiment of the uh, sucking void at the heart of conservative economics. <laughs> he's this old supply side guy, you know, from sort of Art Laffer. He's friends with Art Laffer. He's spent most of his career either trying to elect Republican candidates who will cut taxes or convincing Republicans in power to cut taxes or working for the uh, Wall Street Journal editorial page, writing about how people should cut taxes um, or consistent. Yeah, exactly. Like this is this is all he has spent. I mean, and he is famously wrong about everything. Probably one of the funniest things that ever happened with him is that I think it was a paper in Kansas 
decided to never ever run one of his syndicated editorials again because they found like just really horrible fact errors in it and it became a thing that like he'd been banned from the pages of this Kansas paper um, and like wow and just like I mean that's just sad right like Paul Krugman disagrees with a lot of Republicans but he just like refers to him openly as a clown I mean <sighs> Stephen Moore is he's also he's very flexible that that's the thing he he for a long time was a sort of regular supply side of Republican, free trade, free markets, whatever. He actually wrote, him and Larry Kudlow wrote an editor, uh, wrote a, a piece, I believe, in the National Review, uh, just hammering Trump for his uh, positions before Trump was the nominee for his positions on uh, trade and immigration. And then as soon as he was the nominee, they were like, oh, well, we're on the Trump train. Yeah, tariffs uh, sound like a great idea. Well, yeah, exactly. They adjusted. They're like, well, he'll cut taxes, which is really the thing they care most about. And so, you know, Steve Moore converted. You know, he, he, went, he converted to Trumpism. There's this uh, he apparently sat down with a group of uh, Republicans at one point and told them in private that we are no longer in the party of Reagan. We're in Trump's party now. And he now spends his time on the a lot of time on CNN as a talking head defending the administration. And, you know, he was never a monetary policy guy. He admitted many times I am not a monetary policy expert. Um, but because Sounds like a great person for the Fed. Well, here's the thing, because Trump was so obsessed with the Fed. Stephen Moore became obsessed with the Fed. He is willing to toe the Trump line, and that's what's important. So, and Herman Cain, similarly. Well, so both of these guys yeah. who Trump has sort of floated out there as maybe they should be joining the Fed, they talk about cutting interest rates by maybe half a percent. Do you actually think that's a bad idea? So what, here's what makes it dangerous. I don't think that their their views about monetary policy are like what should be done in the near term are, are what make them problematic. They would be two votes on the Federal Reserve Board. I, one thing that confuses some people, there's the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. That's seven people. But the committee that sets interest rates is called the FOMC. That's 12 people. So they'd be two of 12. And frankly, they would probably get ignored in meetings. The other 10 guys are, are going to like Jerome Powell is just going to look at them and be like, OK, Steve, yeah, keep talking, keep talking. Yeah, no, no, no. There's no, no, there's no deflation. What are you talking about, Steve? Steve, what are you talking? That's how I imagine this this meeting would go. So it's not about like their influence in the short term. Why they are, are kind of scary is that the, the Federal Reserve is one of those few institutions that there's been sort of a bipartisan truce on. For, for many years now, there's been this idea that we're not going to make this a political football. We're not going to try and put partisan hacks on it to you know get the policies we want. Um, instead, you know, there's been this tradition of presidents renominating the Fed chair that the prior administration had picked to kind of show some continuity and reassure markets. And the idea that, well, that's all out the window. Instead, we're just going to stack the Fed with people who will do our partisan bidding is very destabilizing and frightening to people. It's going to almost look like the Supreme Court. That's what's a little frightening to people. And which is a problem because so many people internationally are sort of setting their currency by ours, right? Well, that's part of it. It just, yeah, I mean, the interest rate on U.S. Treasury bonds and what happens to the dollar affects everyone, right? Like the whole world economy. Is, yeah, it's some, in some countries, it's because they set their currency, uh, they peg their currency to the dollar. In other countries, it's just that, you know, if interest rates go up in the U.S., money flows out of their economy and flows here. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why the Fed is the most, arguably the most powerful single economic institution in the world. If that were to become basically just another dysfunctional uh, site of partisan warfare. A lot of people are, are kind of scared of what the outcome would be. That's not to say the Fed has done its job perfectly in the past. Yeah, it, I was going to exactly. say, like, I, I mean, this sort of idea of a nonpartisan Fed 
Is that really just a dream of the last two or three decades? I think the way you describe the Fed of the past two or three decades is ideological but nonpartisan. And that is a, a important distinction. The Fed, ever since the Paul Volcker era, has been very, very... That's in uh, Reagan years, right? Yeah, the Reagan years. Ever since Paul Volcker slayed inflation in the 80s, right? Finally brought down stagflation. It's been very, very, very careful and hypervigilant about inflation and keeping that low. That's and Paul Volcker had to make really tough decisions to do that, right? He, he created a m- extremely deep recession. People forget how deep the 80s recession was. But that was sort of the mythology, right, of the Fed was that they were willing to make the hard decisions and plunge the economy into recession if it meant bringing down inflation. And this was this hard won battle. And the problem is that over time, you know, people who kind of came of age in that era sort of had this inflation phobia, right? They, that was that they were a little too monomaniacally focused on it. Um, and as a result, you know, there's a sense that they've probably sacrificed some job growth over time and some economic growth over time in order to keep down inflation. And right now, the Federal Reserve is actually sort of they are quietly doing this review of all their policies and hmm. how they, they're like while this whole fight with Trump is going on and kind of this TV feud, they actually are kind of rethinking the way they operate or trying to um, because they, they have some recognition that maybe we have messed up in the past. The thing is, the best way to fix the Fed is not to put Herman Cain or Stephen Moore <laughs> on it. The, the best way to fix it is either to come up with some sort of legislative rule that says, okay, we want the, we want to change the Fed's mandate and here is specifically what we want to accomplish. Or you have some sort of cultural change at the Fed, like what we're starting to begin to see where they say, okay, we have to pay more attention to employment and be a little less afraid of inflation. That's a, a way you can change it too. You pick personnel who will do that, but just making it a more partisan institution because I mean that's really the frightening thing, like a partisan Fed where you have the central bank run by Republicans or Democrats, and you have the opposite party in the White House that they would try to kneecap the economy. That's really frightening. Over the next week or two, I'm wondering what you think we should keep our eyes on because you've you've said some really interesting stuff about how you know we obviously all watch the interest rate decision that happens. Is there something else we should be looking at though? I think that if Kane does withdraw. It'll be interesting to see who Trump nominates instead. There are people in the economics world who are sort of respectable-ish, who are have still shown their willingness to kind of toe the party line and be partisans and, you know, adjust their views to match the presidents and whatnot, you know. Is that and better or worse? In some ways, I think it's worse because you get the same effect, but you, instead you have sort of like patina, you have this like, Patina of of respectability. And if Trump finally figures out how to nominate one of those guys, he's finally going to hit that his personal sweet spot, which is having a yes man on the board without the sort of backlash he's gotten from his own party, even at this point. Jordan Weissman, you make monetary policy fun. Do do not as good as making love and fun, but I'll take (laughs) I'll take I'll take it. Thank you. Jordan Weissman is Slate's senior business and economics correspondent. All right, that's the show. What Next is hosted by me, Mary Harris, and produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Anna Martin. If you haven't done it already, tell us what you think about the show. Hop over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review. We're reading them, and we are super psyched to see them, especially because it helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.